having hope is easy when you get what you want, isn't it? Having hope is easy when everything's going well. Having hope is easy when you get your way. Having hope is easy when uh, you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you actually like each other. You're not getting in fights. Um, Having hope is easy when, when your family's together and you're laughing and there's no one arguing and you're eating the food that you want. Um, having hope is easy when you don't fail. Having hope is easy when the sun's shining and, and everything's well right in your life and when you're wearing clothes that you like and when, when, when you feel encouraged by people around you, when, when you, when you are, have successes in schools and sports and all that kind of stuff. Having hope is really easy. But, but it's a little bit harder to have hope When things are going wrong. As we talked about last week, hope is the anticipation for something to happen. Hope is the anticipation for something to happen. And we anticipate things that are good. We don't anticipate things that are bad. So, so hope is not like, like no one hopes that they get cancer. No one hopes that their, that their, that their uh, family members die. No one hopes that they get cheated on. No one hopes um, that they get addicted to something. No one hopes that they fail. No one hopes that they get stabbed in the back by a friend. These aren't things people hope for because we don't anticipate those things. Those are all bad things. But hope is the anticipation for something to happen. So we want things that are good. We want things that fulfill us. We want things that make us feel better. And so it's easy to have hope when everything's going right. But here's the question we want to answer tonight. How can we keep hoping in God when we don't get what we want? How can we keep hoping in God when we don't get what we want? See, again, it's easy to have hope when things are good, when life goes our way, but when everything's going against us, when our life's falling apart, when it's the worst day of our life, how can we possibly have hope? And here's our problem. We, we assume that um, since God can do anything and God loves us, that if we put our hope in God, well, then, then what? Then he's going to give us what we want. That we're going to get the things that we ask for. That nothing's going to go against us. We're like, oh, well, well you know, I'm, I'm following God. I'm, I've changed some things in my life and, and things just keep happening that are, that are just messed up. Like, how can I keep hoping in God when I'm not getting what I want? But that's that, that lie, that, that assumption that, that just because we follow God and just because he loves us means we're going to get whatever we want is kind of a misunderstanding of God and, and a misunderstanding of what hope is. And so what to, we're going to talk about tonight is how we can keep hoping when we don't get what we want, when things don't go our way, when God, as, as far as it looks for us, doesn't come through or when we think he doesn't come through. So we're going to pray together, and we're going to look at a scripture um, in, uh, in the Old Testament that, that, that gives us maybe an answer to this question. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Tonight, as we talk about um, a little bit of a difficult subject, um, as people think about what's going on in their lives now and what's been going on in their lives, um, Lord, I pray that you will encourage that you will give um, strength and endurance to people um, that, that, that just feel like the world's falling apart, feel like things are, are just um, really just messed up around them. And some of us come in this room and we're like, yeah, everything's good, but some of us come in this room and we're hurting. And so, Lord, as we, uh, as we talk about what hope is and, and how to have hope when things aren't going well, Lord, I pray that you'll speak to each of our hearts and encourage us that we'll feel your presence. We ask all these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We'll put, the, uh, we'll put the, the verses up on the screen. This is what's going on. Daniel is a guy in the Old Testament. You've probably heard of him, whether you grew up in church or not. Um, you might have heard of Daniel in the lion's den. He was the guy that, that, that got sent to a lion's den, spent the night with a bunch of lions, and came out the next morning, and he was totally 
fine. So that's who Daniel is, and he writes this book in the Old Testament. And what's happened is that Israel, um, the nation of Israel, God's people, Daniel's hometown, has been destroyed. It has been taken over by the Babylonians. So they've come in. Just imagine, imagine if Jacksonville... Um, this doesn't really happen like in our modern day, especially in America. It's never really happened. But like imagine if some con, uh, conquistadors just came and like burnt our buildings, killed everybody, and just took some people home as slaves. They destroyed our homes. They destroyed our buildings. Everything was laying in ruins, and they just left us, and they took the people that they wanted. This is what happens to Daniel and his friends. It, like, he sees his family die. He sees his friends die. He sees everything falling apart. His home, uh, just imagine him walking away from Jerusalem, and he looks back, and it's just in ruins, and there's smoke coming out of it, and, and there's just, it's just desolation. Like, this is what happened. It's not an ideal situation, not a situation that you would say has much hope. And he's like 14, 15 years old, and he goes with a couple of friends and some other people, but we, we, we hear the story of a few of his friends, and those friends were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Many of us have heard of these three. Those aren't their real names. Um, they had names that honored God, but when they got to this, this, this new nation, they even named them a different name to honor the, the pagan gods that the Babylonians um, uh, sought after and, and worshipped. And so they changed everything. They, they changed their clothes. They changed their diet. They changed the way they talked, their language. They changed their home. Everything was different for these men. And so um, what happens is they get there and, and they say, we're going to honor God in everything we do. And, and God promotes them within this kingdom. And, and Daniel interprets this dream for King, King Nebuchadnezzar. And, uh, and then um, Nebuchadnezzar like makes him one of the top guys in the kingdom. And then, Nebuchadnezzar, and then Daniel's like, well, I want to bring my homeboys along with me because they're my friends, and, and I, don't, I want to see them do well too. And so he promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to like these governors over Babylon. So it'd be, it'd be like um, they're, in the, they're in the capital city. It'd be like it being in Washington, D.C., and being like governors over that capital city. So they were very, very high up. And one day, King Nebuchadnezzar decides, I'm going to build this idol. It's just going to be this massive idol. It was 90 feet tall. Imagine like a nine-story building. Uh, That's the height of it. And it's nine feet wide, and it was uh, made of gold. It It was just overlaid in all gold. And they could see it from miles away, and the sun would gleam off of it. It was this beautiful, beautiful idol. And he said, when I play this music... Every day or whenever I feel like it, when we play the harps and we play the, 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 uh, the, 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 the horns and all that kind of stuff, whenever you hear that music, everybody must bow down to the ground wherever they are and worship this idol. And so it was like a way he was going to have control over the people. And we're going to pick up in verse 8 and see kind of what happens after this. It says, at this time, some astrologers, uh, another um, word for astrologers could be Chaldeans. These were like people that were native to the Babylonians. So like these were, these were guys that grew up wanting to grow and, and be powerful in this kingdom. And now they see these, these, these Jewish guys, these guys that came over as slaves that are now like their bosses. They're like above them. And so they're jealous. And, and since they're jealous, they go and snitch on them and, and tell King Nebuchadnezzar what's going on um, in their business. And so this time, the astrologers come forward and they denounced the Jews. They denounced Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. They're sucking up to him. Oh, may you live forever. We just want to, oh, the king, well, you made this, you made this rule, and, 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 and they're not listening, and, and you need to hurt them. And so that's what they say. They say, uh, you know, the, the king um, has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be bl- thrown into a blazing furnace. That was the punishment for not bowing down. But 
But, King Nebuchadnezzar, there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. Again, they're jealous. That's why they're mentioning this. That's why they're referring to the fact that these guys are above them in, in pay grade and in power. You've, you've, you've set these guys over the affairs of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they pay no attention to you, your majesty. They serve neither your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, here's the deal. I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm a merciful king, and I love you guys. You've really done a lot for me. You bailed me out of some situations. Uh, You've done great doing what you're doing. That's why I promoted you. I like you. I just don't like what you did. Maybe you've heard your parents say that before. Uh, well, you know, honey, we love you, but we just don't love what you, the decision you made on Friday night. And so you're grounded for three years. Like, you'll, you'll hear that from them. And so that's kind of what he's saying. He's like, man, guys, I like you, but I don't like what you're doing. And so he gives them a second chance. He says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. All's forgiven, I'll forget this whole little deal, and we will just go back to life as usual. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Then what are you going to do? Your life's going to be over because I'm the God of Babylon. I am the king, and nobody can come across me and win. Like, if I decide to kill you, you're going to die. God's not going to save you. And so at this point, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have a choice, don't they? They have a choice. They can, either, they can either do this. They can either put their hope in God, put their honor and their faith and their trust in God, and die immediately, or, or they can put their hope in the world. And they had a lot to put hope in. Even though the, their life hadn't gone the way they wanted at this point, you know, they had money, they had food, they had status, they had power, they were in this kingdom, and they had this king who they were in his good graces, like he liked them. And so they could either live for their life, stay alive, live out the rest of their life, and maybe one day, uh, maybe one day they'll get to go home, they'll get to go back to Israel, or, or they could put their hope in God and die. These are their choices. The same choice we essentially have, except for the furnace part, is that we can put our hope in God, or we can put our hope in the world. And so let's see the decision they make. It says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. In other words, we're not going to rationalize. We're not going to make up excuses. We're not going to say, oh, we, we did worship. We're not going to lie. We're not going to say, man, we love you, but we just, we just can't worship this idol because, you know, we have another God and all that kind of stuff. They didn't make any excuses or any reasonings. They just said, listen, we're not going to defend ourselves. In fact, we don't, we don't even need to. And then they continue. This is, this, is, this is where we get our answer. This is kind of like the crux of the story. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. In other words, our God will save us from you. Our God is more powerful than you. Our God can save us. He has the power to do so. But then they continue. They don't just say he has the power to do so. Sometimes we pray and it's like, God, if you will it, God, I know you can do it, but if you will it, if you don't want to do it, that's okay. We give God like the out clause. They don't do that here. They say, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Not only is he able, but he's going to. It's going to happen. We're not going to die. And then it's like they make this statement that's a little bit weird because they just said he's going to do it, and then they continue and say something else that that might seem a little bit weird to us, but we'll talk about it. They say this, but even if, 
even if, everybody say even if. Even. Say it with a little bit of excitement, even if. But even if he does not, even if we die, even if we get burnt up like a crisp, even if we lose everything and we lose our friends and we lose um, the life that we've built here and we lose our power and, and authority and we, and we just are dead and it's over. Even if that happens, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The question is, how can we keep hoping in God when we don't get what we want. They were in a situation where they had to choose. They weren't going to get what they wanted. They believed and they trusted that God would save them. But they said, even if he doesn't, even if everything falls apart, even if our world falls apart, even if we die and it's over, we are still going to follow after God. Because our hope is in him, not in you. And then we, we, we see what happens. It says, then King Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. What this means is like, he no longer was like, guys, I like you, but um, you know, I don't like what you did. Now it was like, I hate you guys. He had this hatred burning towards them, and he was not going to have it. And so he ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. So as hot as it would go, he put in all this fuel, and he commanded some of his strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound, tied up, and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, and, so, and the furnace was so hot. Like he, It was such a quick situation where he's like, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, hotter, hotter, hotter. And it was so... Uh, urgent and just, uh, he was so angry that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Like you've, you've, opened, you've opened an oven before and like you kind of feel the heat waves coming at you or sometimes you, you might open your door on a really hot summer day and you feel those heat waves coming at you off the sidewalk. Like it's like that times like 10,000. It's like, it's like fire is leaping off this, this leaping out of this doorway of this, this furnace, just like, like, le- like fire leaps off the sun. Like it's coming at them and it burns up the guys who weren't even going in to the fire. They were just doing their job and they get burnt up. That's how hot it is. And so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, firmly tied up, fell into the blazing furnace. And then we don't get a description of what happens. It doesn't say like, and then they fell down and this happened and this happened. It just, it kind of skips a moment. And then all of a sudden, King Nebuchadnezzar leaps to his feet in amazement. Maybe he didn't hear anything. Maybe he was watching and he, he, didn't, he, he saw something that, that was, was strange to him. And he asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? Weren't there three? And they say, certainly, your majesty. Three, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We threw three guys down in there. And he said, look, I see four. We threw in three, now I see four. I don't know how a guy just got in there. I see four. I see four men walking around in the fire. They're unbound. They were tied up. And there were three, but now there's four, and they're not tied up. And they're, they're unharmed. Shouldn't they be dead? The soldiers are dead that threw them in there, but now they're just walking around in the fire like it's a normal day, just hanging out with this fourth guy. And, and the fourth, he continues, looks like a son of the gods. Many people believe that this is Jesus, the spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit coming and being in the fire with these men and saving them. And Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and he shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the most high God. Before he said, what God's going to save you? And now all of a sudden he's saying servants of the most high God. His attitude has changed a bit. Come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and all the advisors, all the governors, all that stuff, they crowded around him. 
And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. They were alive. They didn't have burns on them, just a little bit of burn, or like they touched a, touched a stove or something. No, no, no burns. Not only that, but even their hair was not singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Probably a lot of you have been camping or done like a fire pit or something in your backyard. And even just sitting around a fire pit roasting marshmallows, you smell like fire. If you sit someone next to someone who smokes a cigarette or smokes a cigar, you smell like that smoke. That, that smell is on you. And they go into a furnace, and the guys just got burnt up outside the furnace, and they don't even smell like fire. And then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Like, he was so amazed he couldn't even be mad. Like, he should have been really mad, like, that he got beat. But he was so amazed. It was such a miracle that he was like, oh, my gosh, like, this is amazing. And he says this, very, very important words. They trusted. You could say they hoped. They hoped in their God. And they defied the king's command. They defied my command. And they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. So what, what do they teach us about how we can keep hoping in God when we don't get what we want? Here's the answer. We do what they did. We trust that God is doing what's best for you and know that he is with you. They trusted that God would do what was best. It may be saving them and it may be having them die, but he was gonna do what was best in his plan, not in their plan. See, a lot of times we think, well, our plan's the way it's supposed to be always, and that's why we get so upset when we don't get our way. But trusting God, part of trusting God is trusting, like, he's going to do what we need. And like a parent, I've used this example before, like a parent doesn't let their kid only eat candy, or like a parent doesn't let their kid run into the road, they don't, and then the kid cries, like, oh, you don't let me do what I want, all that kind of stuff. And we look at it, and we're like, well, the parent wants you to live. The parent wants you to be healthy. The parent wants what's best for you, and they're protecting you because you don't understand all the situations. We don't understand all the situations like God, and he has an understanding of what is going to be best for us. And so they trusted that God was going to do what's best for them, and they knew that he was with them. In fact, that is why that's in this scripture, I think, is that it's saying God was with them in the fire. God was with them in the trial. God was with them in the suffering. God was with them on the worst day of their lives. Now, it may be easy for us to say, well, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, they got saved and everything, but they got their way. They got to hope in God and they got saved. They got to meet Jesus or this angel, this spirit of the living God. Like they got to, they got like the best situation. They, they were obedient to God and then they walked out of a fire alive, living, um, living proof of their God. Like that's a pretty good situation for them. But we've got to remember, we're looking back at the story. We're looking at it as, as people reading a historical document. And we're saying, oh, it must have been easy for them. They, they got their way. They got, they got saved and all that. But we've got to remember, they didn't know. They stood before a king who had the authority to just kill him. They could hear the fire crackling. They could feel the heat coming off of it. They were sweaty. They were, had tears coming down. They, 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 were, they were probably like trembling before God. Maybe, maybe they turned to each other like, we got to put our hope in God. This is going to be tough, but like, okay, you want to do it? You want to do it? You want... And, and so they're standing in front of this king, and they have the assumption that they're going to die, that they have no chance, that this is do or die. And yet they still said, our hope is in God, even if we die, even if we die. We're going to follow God, our hopes in him. 
a few years ago, and some of you have heard this story. Um, I, I, I had graduated from Florida State, and I was, I was, I was doing a, um, uh, uh, I was trying to kind of get into a certain career, uh, and things weren't really working out. And I took this temporary job, what I thought was temporary, and I thought I was going to be there for two or three months, and then go to grad school, and then go do something else um, that I had kind of prepared for and done internships for, and all that kind of stuff. And then um, I ended up being at that job for two and a half years, and I hated the job. I hated where I worked. I hated what I wore. I hated what I got paid. I hated what I did. I hated everything about it. And finally, I get this position um, with, with the school system, and I was working with um, some kids that were like kind of on their last chance. Like they had been kicked out of every school. They were two, one or two years behind in school. They were dropout prevention. So I worked with these 45 kids, and my job was just to love them, encourage them, um, uh, just build them up and try to help them get back on track and back into their graduating class, give them a chance at life. And if not, they were probably going to spend the rest of their life on the streets or in prison. And I loved my job. I loved, I loved what I was doing. It was a part-time job. And then the summer happened, and, and, and everything ended on a, on a good note. And I was going to be hired the next year as a full-time, doing the exact same thing with the same kids at the same school. I was super, super excited about it. And then over that, over that, that, that summer, um, some things changed, and, and all of a sudden they told me, well, you know, the, the job's actually not going to be Duval County anymore. It's going to be done by this nonprofit, and, and, uh, um, and it really wasn't as good of a situation for me. I had to work more, get paid less, and I wasn't going to be uh, able to do some of the things that I did before. And so, um, so I was kind of like, uh, I'm not sure. I, I like what I did, was doing, but I, I got to think about it. At the same time, I had a, a private school come and say, a Christian school say, hey, we, do you, we want you to do something similar at, at, our, at our school. And so I was like, okay, I got two choices. I got kind of the situation where like, I'm with like the kids that really need it um, and, and are really hurting. And then I've got these kids that are at like a private school, but at least I'm allowed to talk about Jesus there. And, and I'm allowed to, to really uh, share uh, Jesus and, and faith and all that kind of stuff, whereas I can't do it in the other job. And I was going back and forth, like, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? And I had these two job offers. They were on the table. I just had to accept one. And, uh, and, and so I told them both, hey, I'll, can I take the week? And I was praying about it. I was thinking, oh, what do I do? I was talking to my parents and talking to Karen. And, and, and finally, um, on Friday before the weekend that I was going to kind of really think about it and decide, I still hadn't decided yet, I get this call from the guy that was doing the job for Duval County. Um, and he's like, he, 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 for some reason, was angry and like yelled at me and was mad. It was like the weirdest phone call I ever had. And, but it was like, I was like taken aback and I was like, uh, like I didn't even know how to respond. And then, and then he, he, he basically was just like, I'm not giving you the job. I don't want you, I don't want you to work for us. And like, and like this, this job that was supposed to be just handed off to me, all of a sudden he's just saying, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And so I hung up and I was discouraged and I was like, I don't, I don't really know what's going on. And I, I called my old boss and I was like, what's happening? And they're like, we don't really know. And, and so I'm like, well, I guess God has closed the door. So I'm going to go to the private school. I guess he's answered that prayer, and it was a weird way to answer it, but anyway, he's, he's given me um, the opportunity to go somewhere else. And so I called them up a couple hours later, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to take the job with you guys. And they said, oh, well, um, some things have changed, and uh, we can no longer offer that position. Um, we, we just, we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to hire someone else. We're just not hiring that job at all, and uh, we're really sorry about it. Um, and I was like, wait, you, you just told me, like, yesterday, like, you just wanted to know yes or no, and you were trying to get me to come work with you. Now you're just saying it doesn't, doesn't even exist. And, and so I hang up, and, and I just remember just crying. I was, I was laying upstairs on a couch in my parents' bonus room, and I just start crying. I'm like, why? Like, why did I even get sent to this job? Why am I where I am? Like, I've been waiting for years. This is like the culmination of three or four years of just frustration and prayers. And like, where does God want me? What does he want me to do? I, I, I'm just trying to figure things out. And, and then both of these jobs were kind of like specialty jobs, and they were kind of created for me. And I was like, I don't really have like, uh, like, it's not like I'm a teacher and I got fired 
at one school, I'm just going to go to another school. It was like, I really don't have another direction. I don't know what's next for me. And I remember just being like, God, why are you doing this? What's going on? And I just couldn't understand it. And I was so frustrated and hurt and sad and angry all at the same time. And I remember God just in this, in this small voice, like maybe you've heard God speak to you, this, this voice that just kind of comes up in your soul. I heard him say, Ryan, I've got something else for you. Ryan, do you know how many things and strings I had to pull for this to happen, for you to lose two jobs within three hours of each other that were both on the table 24 hours before? Do you know what I had to do to engineer this situation? I've got something for you. And I'd love to say that I was like, oh, yes, hallelujah, God. Like, oh, amen, I love that I don't have a job, and I love I'm going to be unemployed for the next six months. This is great. But no, it was hard. I was still upset. I was still crying. I was still angry. I was still bitter towards the situation and everything. But I had this understanding. I had this understanding that God still has a plan. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's not good right now, and it's not going to be good tomorrow or maybe next week, but there is hope in God, even when things weren't going my way. I would have liked one of those jobs, but I can tell you this. I wouldn't be on this stage. I wouldn't be doing ministry. I wouldn't work at Beach Church. I probably never would have preached a sermon in my life if not for God orchestrating the situation in a way that I didn't like at the time, but now looking back, I thank God for it. I'm so thankful that he put me where I am instead of where I was. But I had to hope in him. And I didn't get that hope from me or from the situation. I got that hope from God. There's a scripture in in Romans 15, verse 13, that that Paul writes. And he says this, may the God of hope, our God is a God of hope. May he fill you with joy and peace. Those are not the things we feel when we're struggling. We feel angst, we feel worry, we feel uh, hurt. But he says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul's saying. When we have no hope of our own, God will fill us with hope. When there's no reason to have hope, when nothing's going good, when we don't see anything good on the horizon, God will give us hope if we trust in him. If we say, I don't get it, I don't understand this, this is terrible, why did you bring me here, why is this going on, why are they sick, why am I failing, why are my, my parents splitting up, why did they do this to me, why did I get betrayed? If we just trust that God has a plan, then he will fill us with hope. And that was what I experienced that day. This verse is what I experienced that day. That no, it wasn't all okay. No, everything wasn't uh, fine and dandy just because I, I prayed a prayer and I had God speak something to me. But I felt God give me a hope that was not natural, that wasn't really of this world. And then I want to close with this in Romans 8. And it's a couple chapters back in the same book. It's the same writer, Paul's writing. And he says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the hope? Of Christ, who shall separate us from our heavenly Father? And then he just goes through a laundry list. He says, Is trouble gonna do it? Hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, the sword, not having clothes, not having food, being made fun of, having people get sick, losing your home, losing your stuff, losing your job, failing, not getting into the college you want to, getting cheated on, getting getting broken up with, having your friend gossip about you and cause drama and all this kind of stuff. Is that going to separate us from the love of Christ? And he continues, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And now he's gonna answer his question. He just asked the question. It was rhetorical. Now he's gonna answer the question. He says, no, 
No, these things aren't going to separate us from the love of Christ. This, this, these situations, these struggles aren't going to separate us from the love of Christ. And all these things, all of them, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can conquer all these things. We can get through all these things through him who loved us. Four, I am convinced, Paul says, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul is saying the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said thousands of years before. Our hope is in God. A king's not going to separate us. Suffering's not going to separate us. Getting torn from our home at the age of 15 is not going to separate us. Nothing is going to separate us from God and our hope that we have in him. And so this is how we reply to this question of how can we hope in God when we don't get what we want. Here's what we must do. We must say, even if, fill in the blank. Even if, fill in the blank, my hope is in the Lord. Even if they don't get better, my hope is in the Lord. Even if they get cancer, my hope is in the Lord. Even if it doesn't start feeling better, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I fail, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I'm not good enough to make some team or make some uh, band or, or club or whatever, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I get broken up with, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I get betrayed, my hope is in the Lord. Even if my friend stabs me in the back, my hope is in the Lord. Even if my parents stab me in the back, my hope is in the Lord. Even if my parents split up, my hope is in the Lord. Even if my parents don't get back together, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I lose a friend, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I don't get in the college I want to, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I don't get in the program I want to, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I don't like the way I look or the way I talk or the way I act, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I don't like my situations, my hope is in the Lord. Even if I don't like the way people treat me, my hope is in the Lord. This is the answer to the question. We must say, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if, even if we don't get what we want, our hope's going to be in God. And we know that he's going to do what's best for us. And we know that he's going to be with us. See, we don't have a God that just sits up in a chair and looks at us like, ha ha, man, loser. He, he, he sits up there and he empathizes with us. Like you go through a breakup, he feels the breakup. You go through the persecution, he feels the persecution. You go through this, this trial, you go through betrayal, he feels that. And he feels it so much because he experienced it. He sent Jesus who lived a life that frankly sucked. His family laughed at him. His friends laughed at him. He was poor. He, he, did, he did day labor uh, for, for, for almost nothing. Like he did not have a good life. People made fun of him everywhere he went. And eventually he did that all as the God of the universe. He did that all and then got tortured to death and killed on a cross. Unfair. And yet he trusted his heavenly father. And he did it to give us hope. We have hope because of what he did. We have hope because he is with us in the fire. If you're going through something tonight, if you're going through something in the last few months, this school year, whatever it is, God is with you in it. He understands what you're thinking, even if no one else does. He understands what you're, what you're experiencing, and he is there for you. We're called to say, even if anything happens, even if it doesn't get better, my hope is in the Lord. I want to pray over you and then we'll, we'll kind of continue in worship. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I pray over each of these students and adults. Lord, some of them come in here with 
excitement because everything's good and they feel good and, and, and life has just been treating them well. But some people come in here with heavy hearts. They're stressed. They're worried. They don't have what they want. They're not getting what they want. They've been hurt by people. Maybe they've been hurt by someone in this room. Maybe they feel like you've forgotten about them or that you've let them down. Lord, I pray that you would give them hope. Sometimes we can't have hope on our own, but you are a God that understands our frustrations and gives us hope in it. But I pray that you would, you would give us hope as we trust in you. I pray that we would know that you are for us and that you're doing what's best for us. You, may, you didn't bring the situation, but you're gonna use the situation for our good and for the good of your kingdom. You can take death, you can take betrayal, you can take anything and you can mold it into something amazing. You can mold it into a miracle. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego felt like crap that day, but Lord, you turned it into a miracle. And for the person here that says, there is no hope, there's nothing that God can do, Lord, I pray that they would at least know that you are with them, that you understand that they can talk to you about it. Lord, we ask all these things in your mighty name. We pray that your spirit would be upon us, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and our emotions, and that we would be comforted by you in our struggles. In your name we pray, amen.